1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Monday. We've got a lot to talk about USC football and basketball. We're going to start off with the coach, Harvey Hyde, uh, talking about the USC football team. Of course, spring practice is coming up. We've got to talk about that. USC's head coach, Lincoln Riley's got a really nice house. He's going to be living in, uh, even though he won't be there much that much as a, as a football coach usually isn't in college, but we're going to talk about that, talking about upcoming spring football. And then later on the show, we'll get shotgun Spratling. I was there in Las Vegas with him for the PAC 12 basketball tournament. Yes. I covered some basketball and USC got their uh, March madness uh, dates and times and locations and all of that seating. So we'll talk to uh, shotgun Spratling, get his thoughts on that uh if you have uh any questions or comments for the show we're going to get coach hyde a little bit more regularly on now because we've got spring practice coming up just send us an email podcast at uscfootball.com and say hey this is for the coach for harvey hyde and leave us a email there or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141 leave us a voicemail or send us a text we'd love to talk about whatever you want to hear about here on the peristyle podcast with the coach. And if you have the Apple Podcasting app, you can follow us, the Parastyle Podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. And even if you have Spotify, you're listening maybe on your Android device, you like like the uh, podcast on Spotify, you can now leave us a five-star rating there too. So we appreciate that. It does help to grow the show. And it's always a fun time when we get to talk to someone like the coach about this USC football team because he's been covering the team for a very long time. We've been doing these podcasts together For a very long time, since 2008, and we're going to welcome the coach back in. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde, or go to his website, harveyhyde.com. Coach, how are you today?
2: Well, I just want everybody to know I didn't go into the portal, okay? I I wanted everybody to understand. I wasn't transferring, because I wasn't sure if Lincoln Riley would take me back. So I just stayed right on the roster. I've been in my off-season training program and getting ready for the coming spring practice. Had a little bit of a high ankle sprain, whatever that is. I didn't have any surgery on my knee or anything. So I'm ready to go, Ryan. I'm getting warmed up, and it's always great to be back with you. We've been doing this a long time, and I like to give everybody my opinion. And remember, whenever we talk about it, just our opinion, and you can agree or disagree. And if you don't like what I'm saying, send it in, as Ryan told you how to do it. And I'll be happy to uh, answer it uh, any way you want me to.
1: For sure, Coach. And uh, we appreciate you coming back on the show and looking forward to breaking down, hopefully, what's going on with USC football spring practice. Um, Let's let's start with that. We'll get to Lincoln Riley's new digs uh, in a little bit. But so we still, as of uh, right now, which is we're recording this on Monday early afternoon, just after lunch, uh, just afternoon, we uh, do not know. The spring practice schedule, we've definitely heard rumors of what it was going to be, most likely starting next week, Um, probably a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday sort of thing. Uh, USC's Pro Day is supposed to be that Wednesday on the 23rd, so we're supposed to hear about that, but we haven't heard quite yet. We don't know if practices will be open to the media. They will not be open to the public. They're not going to be open to parents of players, so we do know that. Uh, but we're getting down there. I mean, eight, I guess eight days left, coach, until we think spring practice starts. Now that could have just, you know, they they could change their minds at any time and make it, you know, spring practice happen later. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on now, but I mean, I'm 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 assuming we're going to hear something soon, coach. I don't know what you think.
2: Well, I I think they're they I don't know they're in the process. I'm sure they made their decision. They just haven't released it. You've got to make a decision so everybody knows what's going on and the strength coach knows what to do as far as fine-tuning them now and getting them ready for spring practice and all of the above. And I'm sure they're starting to have meetings and talk to the players as far as their class loads and all of that. People have to understand, you know, what classes they'll be at and what they won't. And they'll try to find a time where most of the athletes don't have to miss any classes. I'm sure they've gone all through this. It's just announcing it. and I don't know why they're waiting, but uh, that's their... Privilege the way that makes it a little bit more difficult on all of us, as far as the media people or people that like to attend their practices. I hope their Saturday uh, scrimmages are open. Possibly, I hope the spring game is open to the public. It normally has been, and I think it should be. And I really uh, am a little disappointed that uh, the public isn't invited to some of the practices because I think it really brings people in and the interest of USC football gets back when you take your family down or the teams come or people come uh, to watch the Trojans practice with the new era of Lincoln Riley. So, you know, there isn't any secrets in, in football. And he's gonna run what he ran at Oklahoma. He's gonna run what he did uh defensively at Oklahoma or he wouldn't have brought the defensive coach with him. So they're gonna run the same things. They may might adjust it after they look at the personnel and so on and see what what really fits but again, I think uh, you know in the spring you don't you don't put any game plans together, and uh, all the other teams have all the films and tapes on all their games that they played, and you can't really the game is really easy. It's just what you do with your personnel and where you put them, and and how you coach them and get them ready to play.
1: Yeah, um, well, it's I like what you said about they already have decided, and I think what might be going on here the I, for spring football to happen next week there's a lot of plans, right. That need to be in place. Like, I don't think they would, I guess you could just say we're going to delay it a week or two or something, but you, I mean, there's things you're scheduling around spring break, things like that. I agree with a decision has been made on. It's going to start next week and all that. What it seems like they're maybe still mulling over is. Will the media, how will the media be able to cover it? If at all, is there any part you can take video? Is there any part you take photos? Can players talk? Can, is it only Lincoln Riley talking? Will he talk? Well, assistant coaches talk, um, I feel like there's a lot of decisions and the way USC has done it in the past, I think it's significantly different than the way Lincoln Riley did it at Oklahoma. So maybe they're trying to come to some sort of consensus on what the coverage is going to be like, and, and maybe that's what's not been decided yet. So that's why it hasn't been released.
2: Well, Ryan, I'll let you know, as a head football coach, he's going to decide what's going on. It isn't going to be Katie Ryan or anybody else, and Katie is just waiting to hear what to pass on as far as the sports information director in charge of football. Lincoln Riley is going to make that decision on who's going to be at practice and what's going to go on at practice and all of the above. Uh, If he wants people there or not people there, that's that's his priority, and uh, again, uh, uh, if he's made that decision, that's fine, and maybe he hasn't. Maybe he's having meetings with the athletic director to decide. But uh, in the long run, he's going to make all those decisions. He isn't going to come down there, and somebody in sports information or somebody in the uh, uh, athletic director, somebody's going to tell him what he's going to do with the media as far as being at practice or not. Yeah. I mean, I, I I did all of that, and and that's the way it'll be. You know, they're they're they've given him a free hand at doing whatever he needs to do. So. When he's ready to release it, when he's ready to tell people what he wants and the way it's going to be, he's going to do that. So really, it's not anybody in the Sports Information Office. It's when he feels like he wants to tell people.
1: Yeah, no, and that's we'll uh, we'll see when he does. Uh, We're we're waiting on that announcement and stuff right now. Um, Okay, so we'll hear. We'll let you know as soon as we hear about spring football practice. Uh, Chris Trevino and I will be doing a podcast this week. Um, Chris will probably be doing one with um, Gerard Martinez as well. We'll probably have a Shotgun Browling podcast at some point, uh, so we'll have other podcasts this week to uh, keep you up to date if there's any sort of breaking news on uh, you know what's going on um, here. So we'll 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 keep you up to date on what's going on with that. Uh, I did want to bring up um, Lincoln Riley. There was some. There, I, there were some rumors that were I, – I, people kind of took this as gospel when it was reported when Lincoln Riley first got hired. Um, really seemed like they were uh, – from what we were told, they just were not true as far as like things with his contract. Like they bought his house in Lincoln and given him a stipend for a house here and all that kind of stuff. I think, I think all of that, from what I've been told, we don't know the details of his contract. I think that was all just kind of made-up stuff, but somebody reported it and then everyone – aggregated and put it all over the place but we do know that he has bought a palace verdes mansion and if you've seen some of the the videos or the photos and stuff online uh it's pretty you know it's pretty incredible like you would ex- like like you would expect you know like it's uh it's it's a 17 million dollar house and when you think about something like that coach i mean it's you know it's on the coast uh you know on pv i've been around palos verdes a lot fishing and, and things like that and uh, it's you know if you know people that live there it takes a while to get to the freeway and stuff from there it's, it's you're kind of remote from everything but it looks like he's on a cliff like overlooking the ocean um i mean the, the incredible amount of space thirteen thousand square feet there's seven bedrooms and 12 bathrooms um five car garage there's an elevator in the place they got seven fireplaces there's a tennis court movie theater Putting green, which I love. Uh, there's a sauna and a steam room. There's a guest house there. You know, if you got some friends staying around town because you don't want to stay in one of the other bedrooms. 600-bottle wine room, which, you, you know, you need a wine cellar if you're going to be in a place like that. Uh, pretty, you know, as far as digs go, like in college coaches, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing what uh, this house looks like. And, you know, if you know PV, that's just kind of, uh, there. you know, he doesn't even have, like, the nicest house on his block probably. Um, so pretty incredible stuff. I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, uh, the head coach, uh, having a, a place like that for his, uh, you know, for his young family. He's like I said, he's probably not going to spend a whole lot of time there cause he's going to be the head coach at USC, but, uh, when he is there, uh, it's going to be pretty nice digs for him.
2: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Um, I would have just liked to get the commission as far as the sale, as far as the oh, realtor yeah. or broker. I mean, I'd have been real happy. I could have sat back for a long time and, Done nothing, but congratulations to him and his family. Uh, I think that's uh, an exorbitant amount to to spend on a home, uh, especially when you have about three people in your family or four people in your family. I think it's a little bit uh, over the line. But again, uh, you've got to be able to afford that type of home. And I I don't know what the property taxes are on that, but I would guess you've got to look at the expense of maintaining a home like that. And the property taxes on a home like that is $1.25 of $17 million. You can figure that out right now. A couple like 200000 250000 a year in property taxes. In a home like that, you've got to spend 100000 a year on gardening and maintenance and pool services and all of the above. So you look at all the expenses of a home like that. I know that they, or at least they, they reported, that they were going to give him $5 million as far as to relocate. So I'm sure that was a down payment. And I'm sure and I'm not saying that the university did this, but in most cases, the university makes it easy to finance those type of homes by the university financing it for him, because he didn't have enough time to go out and sign a, a loan document that takes you six months to get a loan, especially at that amount. So I'm sure the university gave him a low interest loan of probably 3% or 2% on his money that was the remaining balance and maybe even has the the service of the university as far as maintaining his property I I don't know all the details of it but it's a pretty big deal Uh, as far as the public part of it I don't know if that was smart as far as releasing all those whoever did and so on as far as you know you don't really want to know the personal life of a coach that much or his family or where he's located I, I don't think that's really smart I think it's great to know he found a home and so on and then again too I'm not sure how the other faculty members at USC would feel about that I'm sure that uh, they understand what the deal is because it's all calculated out on how many years it takes to get all the money back on the, what you're paying a, a football coach but you know in the other sports the other coaches mean, uh, guys that are barely getting by in their budgets and so on uh, I'm not sure that is something that they would look at and smile at. But for him, that was part of the deal. And if he can afford it, then he can do it. Uh, but uh, again, that's quite a big uh, purchase for him. And uh, he's not even on the beach. The thing that gets me, is not him in the sand. He's got to drive 20 or 30 minutes to get to the beach. At least when you pay that kind of money, don't you want to put your toes in the sand?
1: Yeah, you know, but know. if you could have an ocean view from uh, your pool and your your spa, like, that's not too bad.
2: No, it's not bad. <laughs> not bad at all. So, you know, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for his family. But, wow. I mean, I'll tell you, he hasn't even won a game yet.
1: It's impressive. I was listening to a show. I can't remember who was. Someone was talking about it. That they did, like, a Zillow search, like, of, like, an hour drive or 30 miles or something around um norman oklahoma and like the most expensive home you could possibly get was like three million bucks or three and a half million bucks or something like that so it's like he couldn't have bought a house anywhere near this um and you know there's a reason why the house is expensive and why it's expensive to live in california a lot of people want to live here i mean that's just the way it is but this is uh there's definitely up there um you're in another tax bracket obviously when you can get a place like that, just you and Lincoln. I don't know anyone else besides you and Lincoln Riley coach that are in that tax bracket, so congratulations to you guys.
2: <laughs> He's my neighbor, Ryan. You didn't oh, yeah. have to tell everybody that. He's my neighbor. <laughs> and if you, think, if you think I'm serious out there, people, don't. Don't take me serious on this one. No, yeah. But, uh, you know, he could have bought the entire state of Oklahoma. <laughs> he, he might have been able to with that. Nothing against any of you that live in Oklahoma, but you have big ranches, beautiful homes, cattle, wheat, everything else but uh that's quite a uh he could have gotten probably the same type of salary maybe four or five million at oklahoma and you can you imagine uh, the money could have saved so he's got a big nut to crack it's it's going to be a big nut to crack when you buy a home like that so i hope someone's handling the finances for him so he can uh put all his thoughts towards football
1: yeah i'm sure he's fine with as far as that stuff goes uh you know you know, making several million dollars a year when you're in Oklahoma or it's not that expensive to live. Yeah. He's going to spend a little bit when he gets to LA. Cause it's definitely more expensive here. Um, we got some questions and stuff to get to coach. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep this one a little short. We always say that and it always goes longer, but we're going to start with Don. He said, coaches suggesting about a suggestion about inviting whole teams to practice is a great idea. I understand why Helton didn't do it, but it would be great under coach Riley. I agree with, uh, with coach Hyde regarding current players and attending class, but you need to enlighten coach Hyde about the metaverse avatars and the current movement of the new generation. That's from Don. Well, Don, I don't know about the metaverse or the avatars either. So I can't really enlighten. If you wanted to enlighten us, both of us, you could have, um, done that but I think this was uh, you talked about bringing um, teams to come check out practice like high school teams I believe that's what it was I don't know if you remember coach but right I uh, did yeah so maybe I think that's what he was referring to
2: yeah I think it's important that young people can dream and young people get on a campus at a university and young people uh, look at some of these players up close and uh, get to know them because you know when you go to the game you really don't get close to those players they're wearing helmets and you're way up in the sands and so on and you really don't realize the size of them and the speed of them and, the, you know, and what college is all about. And they're, they're paying a price in high school and practicing. And, you know, you can even have a player talk to the group of the team or a coach welcome them and say things. And this is what you call public relations. And I think public relations are so important today because in, in Southern California, let's take L.A. Hey, USC's got competition. I mean, when you look around with the Dodgers and Lakers and Kings and all the teams that are in Southern California, you got the the Rams, you got the Chargers, you got competition. So you've got to be able to uh, get out there and market your program and want people to want to come to your program and have your team or your kids say, let's go to a USC game. So I just think public relations is so important that all of these type of different things you can do as far as opening up your practice or bringing kids to your to your practice and different things, you know, I think it's it's what you call smart. I think you call that smart. At least I, I think that's what I would think it's called uh, because he's a new man in town. There's a new sheriff in town, okay? So everyone should get to know this sheriff and see how it works and how college kids work and pay a price. So that's what I'm saying, right? I just think that it's something that should be shared with people so everyone has the feeling of being a part of USC.
1: Yeah, I like that, Coach. Um, Thanks, Don, for that one. uh, We had a question from Levy. Uh, So far, the new coaching staff is recruiting better than the prior staff did. That's fair. Uh, what do you want to see during spring camp that determines, that? I'm sorry, that demonstrates that the coaching is also better? What do you think, Coach?
2: Well, I think execution, first of all, and getting everybody away from the players that don't have anything to do at practice. When I watched the last staff work, uh, not that uh, it's the staff, but I think it's the head coach's philosophy. There was more people running around the field chasing balls and uh, running on the field and hugging guys and doing this during practice than... I think it was necessary. I think you get your coaches coaching the players and they concentrate uh, on what's going on and they watch the other team when they're on the field and they watch the drills that are going on and they're not standing in the back talking with someone and you wonder who he is. I think it's very important that the coaches do the coaching and when you're out there, it's like you're doing surgery. Do you invite guests into the surgery room and have them talk to the doctor when he's taking your appendix out or giving you a heart transplant? No. So, I think it's very important that the players concentrate on their position, watch what's going on in the scrimmage or whatever drill is going on out there, and the coaches you know are there to answer questions and when they make a correction, everyone hears it. But most of the time during Clay held the staff, there were so many people running around the field and jumping up and down and running through the end zone and doing all these dances and stuff that were crazy. it was crazy. So I think that that's what's important as far as allowing the coaches to have the concentration of the players and focus on what they need to learn and execute. And I think this is something I'll be looking at, and I think the staff will be looking at that. I think Coach Riley's got to look at a lot of these things because a lot of those people are still there in the athletic department, and after he has his first practice or he has many staff meetings telling everybody what he expects at practice, that some of this is cleaned up
1: yeah all right coach um let's see thanks levy for that one i think i think in general you can just see for my opinion real quick in my opinion uh i mean you could just see how, what changed when lincoln Riley came in as far as recruiting goes just the people the, the prospects that are now interested everyone knows what's going on you had a very mediocre head coach before now you have a proven winning head coach kids want to listen to the proven winning head coach um, and I think you're going to see a higher level of competence on the practice field too. And we'll, uh, hopefully we'll be able to see it in spring practice and tell you about it and check it out. Um, this one's from Dave. He wrote in, uh, we got a couple more left since coming to USC. Lincoln Riley has been relentlessly roasted by an obvious, bitter Oklahoma fan base. So many defaming remarks, cheap shots. Uh, obvious lies, et cetera. Then once he announced he was going to USC, Caleb Williams was also targeted with equally negative remarks and at least one terrible post containing a rebel flag uh, and some more remarks. If I was an Oklahoma fan, I'd be embarrassed by the way these classless uh, OU fans are carrying on. I can understand a bit of it when Riley first left, but to continue to carry on and be so mean-spirited for so long is really out of hand and unnecessary. My question is, if Coach Hyde were in Coach Riley's shoes, how would you handle this? Uh, how would it would it affect recruiting? Even though he says he's not bothered, would you be concerned that the personal attacks would affect Caleb Williams? Is it best to ignore it and hope it eventually dies down? What would you do, Coach? Keep up the great work, Ryan and team. An old Temple City Ram, he played with Don Roberts, now living in Glendale. That's from Dave.
2: Yeah, Donnie Roberts, yeah. He was a, the Metro Player of the Year. Went down to San Diego State and caught more passes. And led the NCAA as a running back and receiver as a great player. Just a great player. Well, thank you for calling in. Uh, first of all, these people that are making these comments haven't given a dime to the university or maybe never attended the game, okay? There are people that have nothing else to do but fool around and try to – they're envious of Coach coach Lincoln Riley and uh, you know this is they're having their games and their funds and so on and you know this is part of football and athletics people can make a change and move start supporting your new program with your new coach don't spend too much time worrying about what Lincoln Riley is doing at USC you better worry about what your new coach is doing at Oklahoma so you know you can't really pay attention to this because these people you know these cheap shot, shot, shot people are uh, you can't pay attention to them because they don't know what they're doing anyway. They just have nothing else to do. So as far as I'm concerned, I know his wife very well. I mean, and Lincoln pretty good. And, And I want you to know, you know, that's not smart. And remember, coaches have children. And children get abused, but people don't know who his wife is. People don't know who his children is. So you've got to consider this type of stuff when you do this stuff that you tweet out or you say things and so on in front of people. Because you get very defensive if you're a man and you're in a store and you lost a game and somebody's, you know, saying something to a cheap shot in front of your kids and your wife. You wonder why guys get mad, okay? So, you know, those people that do that type of social media and all this stuff that's going on, just look at what they're saying and then evaluate who they are. And then you let it go and you forget it, okay? Because don't pay attention to that stuff. Okay. Because it means nothing. And then you look at the person that's probably doing it, has nothing else to do. Probably doesn't have a job.
1: Yeah. The, uh, I would say Dave, from your concern here, it's not impacting recruiting. I you have, um, there's plenty of great Oklahoma fans and there's, there's a lot of bitter ones right now. And I don't think it's a good look. And uh, you hear other national, um, uh, college football writers and analysts, they're not saying this is hurting uh, Lincoln Riley. They're saying it's not making the Oklahoma fan base look good. And, you know, you always equate it to a breakup where we've all been dumped before. We've been in relationships, uh, maybe not coach I, but all, all the rest of us we have and got dumped. If you go on and you meet someone uh, and, you know, you if you didn't marry the first person you ever dated and you were dumped at some point. And then you're happy and you're, you know, for the rest of your life with that person, that's great. But if all you ever did was talk to your current wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or whatever it is about your ex, like that's not going to go over very well. And Oklahoma already has a great head coach and Brett Venables. A lot of people tried to hire him away for years at Clemson and he never went anywhere. Oklahoma ends up getting him. He's coming home. There's a lot of reasons to be positive about getting Brett Venables as the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. But if the fan base is spending a significant time complaining about Lincoln Riley, if I'm Brett Venables, I don't, that's not going to sit well with me. I'm like, Hey, I'm here. I'm not chopped liver. I don't know if you'd feel the same way coach where, you know, it's like you get this job. It's like dream job for you. A lot of people are excited that you're there, but all anyone can talk about is who the last guy was.
2: Well, that happens. You know, you're exactly right. You know, people are going to do that and they have no time to do anything else or they mean that's their hobby. So, you know, I had it when I left, uh, not left, when I went to a new campus and coached when I was at UNLV. In fact, I met one of the biggest boosters, and we went out to lunch, and he didn't know who I was, really. He talked to me and interviewed me at the airport uh, when, they, when they when I visited it. But he thought it was funny. You know, they all think things are funny. And they had bumper stickers made up that had a question mark in the front, a question mark in the back that said, Who in the hell is Harvey Hyde? That's nice. what it said. And it was going all over town. I even had one on my bulletin board at home saying, who the hell is Harvey I. I thought it was really unique and different, and I got more publicity by him doing that than not knowing who I was. And it brought football, big notice to our football program. And, uh, you know, you got to look at it positive. Maybe it was a smart type of thing to do, but it means smart aleck thing to do with me. But he did that. So I said, you know, I think I'll do some things. So, what I did, I made sure that I became a good friend of the telephone company. And the first thing I did, I went over and talked with them and I said, you know, I'd like to every time somebody at that time at that time, you know, people used to go four one one for information. I don't know if you remember that right. Yeah, yeah. So every time someone went four one one, the first thing they would hear is, Hi, I'm Coach Harvey Ide. I'm the new head football coach at UNLV. Come on out and support rebel football. Now you'll get some help, and then somebody come on, can I help you so i had I had thousands of people you know what I mean I forget how many how many people call information at that time, you know, and uh so that was another way to publicize it and then there at that time too, there was another service that they had time of day or hip temperature or something you can call. I did the same thing with that one, so what happened? After a period of a couple years, they had to discontinue that because they were getting so many requests from other, you know, charities and so right. on and events that they probably said they called me up and said, Coach, we can't do this anymore. Right. We're, we're making more people mad than happy. So, so they did that. But, you know, it just gives you ideas to do things, you know?
1: That's funny. That's a really neat one that you could do that there. Um, All right, we've got one last one. We'll let you go, Coach. Frank of Sacramento wrote in, and uh, he says, we need to stop thinking that the 2022 USC football season should be compared to that awful 4-8 and season. 2021 doesn't count. Helton gets fired. A low-level coach gets promoted over two established coordinators. The coordinators don't like the snub, uh, and they know they'll be gone next year, so they quit on the interim coach and the team. Many players give up as well. Thus, the disastrous twenty twenty one season. USC should have finished seven and five under Helton in our crummy Pac twelve conference. So that should be our baseline from which we measure success going forward. I think Chris and I might have. I, I think Frank said this a couple of times. Um, I think Chris and I might have talked about it as well. But wanted to get your thoughts on that. What are you going to compare Lincoln Riley's first season to? A, a four and eight campaign or something that would have been more reasonable, like seven and five?
2: As far as Lincoln Riley,
1: yeah, and as as the first USC season. Here? I think Frank is trying to not make it so people can't say, oh, USC went 8-4. That's, that's twice as good as last year. Uh, he's saying 8-4 would be a marginal improvement over what was last year. What were your thoughts?
2: Well, I think whenever you have a great season your first year, you know, you want to grow. I always used to tell my assistant coaches, wherever you go, don't win too fast. you got to win, but this is USC. you got to win in a hurry. But, you know, if you win too fast, you spoil people. If you go – you know, 10 and 2, 9 and 3. Then the next year, you know, you go 10 and 2. Everybody's happy. The next year, you go 11 and 1. And maybe somewhere in there, you get an undefeated season. You know, everybody's trying to win. You know, people forget that. You know, Washington's trying to win. Oregon's trying to win. Notre Dame's trying to win. Everybody's trying to win. So it's very important and very hard uh, to win football games today. If your kids aren't ready to play, you can get upset on any given day. So, you know, you got to look at it uh, game at a time and get through your uh, season. And right now, uh, you know, he's evaluating his players, and who knows who's going to be good. I think he came at the right time. Like I said, I think the Pac-12 currently right now is at a good time for him to come in. I think the programs, except for Utah, aren't as uh, strong as what they've been in the past with a coaching change at Oregon. They've got adjustments going on with a. Coaching change at Notre Dame, they've got adjustments going on. So, And a coaching change at Washington State, they've got adjustments going on. And Washington, all of the above, Washington uh, better win this year. or They'll make a coaching change there. So, you know, I think it's perfect timing. And, you know, you take one game at a time and you hope your kids get ready to play and you don't, you know, lose somebody. You know, what if Caleb Williams got hurt? I mean, man. That could change your entire season or some key person. So, you know, you play one game at a time, and I, I, we always say in coaching, you add them up at the end. Every game is the biggest game of the year. If you think that every game isn't the biggest game of the year, you're making a mistake as a football coach. Yeah. So you can't waste 60 minutes. You've got to get ready to play. So every game is the biggest game of the year. Now, we don't look at it that way. Bookmakers don't look at it that way, but a head football coach and a football staff looks at it that way because when you look at it, you can beat Notre Dame and lose to somebody else, lose to San Jose State, and you're then you're one and one instead of being two and zero. So you've got to look at this as one game at a time, and it's the biggest game of the year.
1: All right, coach. Well, it's uh, great catching up with you again. We'll uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. I think the next time we talk, we'll know a lot more about spring football practice and be able to uh, tell listeners all about it. And then hopefully if we can go, we'll see you out there and be able to, uh, to chat about it. But uh, th- thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it.
2: Good. Thank you very much, Ryan. You know, one thing that you mentioned, uh, mentioned spring practice, you know, and you mentioned uh, being a spring practice, I think one thing that'll change. I don't think the media will, you know, they used to come by and say, who do you want to talk to? Who do you want to talk to? Who do you want to talk to? I think he's going to make the decision of who you can talk to. I think he's going to say, today you're going to talk to this guy or that guy. Or it's offensive, these two players, is today or these two players. He's not just going to throw young players or freshmen players that haven't been schooled or understand what to say and so on. I really think, now this is my opinion, okay? That you're going to have to have approval on talking to players. And I think that he will make the announcement of who you can talk to. I just think that's something... That uh, you'll see a change in because before you could just talk to anybody you wanted, and uh, I don't think some players are ready for that. Bye. Yeah,
1: they used to, so they would limit freshmen always, but then you would eventually get to talk to them uh, at Oklahoma. You never got to talk to freshmen, so um, I'm I'm guessing you're right on that one, but we'll see. We'll see what the policies are. We don't know, um, but we should know here pretty soon. Uh, that is Coach Harvey Hyde. We're gonna take a quick break. Come back. We're gonna talk some USC basketball. Get Shotgun Spratling on talk about USC's seeding becoming a seventh seed uh, they out way out there at South Carolina but uh, we'll talk about that in a minute All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We don't do this a lot, but we're going to talk a little USC hoops uh, on the podcast. We have Shotgun Spratling on the line. Follow him on Twitter at Shotgun SP. Both of us were in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament where Arizona won. The Trojans won uh, against Washington and then lost in, in the quarters and then end up losing in the semifinal to UCLA, who went on to lose to Arizona in the final. Georgians end up getting a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. Only three Pac-12 teams made it thought Colorado might get a shot, an outside shot, but uh, they did not. But I wanted to uh, bring in Shotgun to kind of talk about where USC is ending up, what the seeding was like, how the Pac-12 was treated, what, uh, what uh, Andy Enfield had to say about the selection and all that kind of stuff. So we welcome him in right now. Shotgun, how you doing, man?
0: Doing good. I made it back to the East Coast. So my body's trying to uh, figure out where it is and what time zone it actually is in and and uh, get recuperated before heading down to Greenville for, for this weekend. I think we
1: probably, I'm not saying we made a, a lot of great decisions when we were in Las Vegas, but there was maybe <laughs> some poor ones and one of them not realizing that we were going to lose an hour of sleep as well. You took like a red eye flight. I got up early and drove Sunday morning. Um, yeah. And you know, it, it, it was ve- Vegas. It's fun. I've never been to the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas. I love it there. I went to the the, the championship game for football. I definitely plan on continuing to do these. But, uh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll do a little more moderation next time.
0: Maybe. <laughs> I, I just like the fact that, Ryan, you've now gotten into the basketball fever. You know, you cover the Pac-12 tournament. Now you want to get on a podcast and talk a little basketball as we go into the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, I, I'm really digging the fact that you're how much you're enjoying basketball now.
1: People didn't really like that I was there because I'd been to two games and USC got kind of blown out in both of them. Uh, it was at Oregon and, and Arizona and, uh, the, but they ended up winning the Washington game. It was a little ugly there at first, but they ended up, you know, getting the vi- the victory, even though they turned it over like 23 times or whatever. Uh, didn't play that well against UCLA, but we had some fans there, even in the crowd that were telling me to go home. So it was, uh, but then we, you know, USC won. So it wasn't me. I, I, I haven't seen them win in Galen center this year, this past year, but I did get to see them win a, a tournament game, so a, a pac tournament game.
0: Well, that's partly because I only sit you to the big games, and USC has struggled a little bit in some of those big games. Um, that's one of the, the big questions about this team going into the NCAA tournament: is how are they going to react when they play NCAA tournament caliber teams? You know, they were kind of, I would say, they're around 500 when they're playing teams that were NCAA caliber. You know, I consider Colorado up there, and you know, San Diego State getting into the tournament. But, you know, against Oregon when they were playing good, that's an NCAA tournament-caliber team when they were playing good they did not play good consistently. They struggled in that home game, struggled in the Arizona game at home mightily. But they did play really well at Arizona. They played, you know, play, beat UCLA without Isaiah Mobley. So it's a very interesting team that you look at and go, yeah, they can lose in the first round. But you also look at it and go, they can go on another run. You know, just which team is going to show up? And I, I think that's been the, the big – you know, a little bit of a disappointment for this USC team with the experience they have, but also just the big question and, and what makes them very interesting going into this tournament is that they could go on another run if they play well. They can also be out in the first round. So it, it'll be interesting to see which team shows up on Friday uh, down in South Carolina.
1: Yeah, uh, so let's talk about that, um, the selection. Anything, so it's maybe just start overall with the uh, selection Uh, committee anything that you felt was you know out of place did the Pac-12 deserve only three Uh, what what did you think
0: I mean USC gets the number 25 overall seed you know they go into the week they're ranked 21st in both the coaches poll the AP poll they end up number 35 in the net rankings but to be the number 25 overall seed for the tournament when Alabama is I believe at 19 and they have Six more losses than USC. Now they have much better wins than USC, but six more losses for uh, a comparative power five program. That's kind of interesting to me that you know that USC just wasn't respected with the, the number of losses they had versus some of the teams that they were behind in those rankings. And it comes down to USC not having a ton of big wins, but they they were four and four in quad one. They had a winning record in the top two quadrants, so it's a little bit interesting. It does feel like the Pac-12 just didn't get the respect that maybe you know they that was anticipated or or hoped for from the Pac-12 fans. You know, Colorado not getting in. They have twenty-one and eleven. You know, a couple of the teams that USC is behind in that that overall you know seating were twenty were very similar records, had eleven losses. So you know the the Pac-12 was undone a little bit in the non-conference. And George Kliakov talked about that uh, this week uh, at, at the Pac-12 tournament about how they, you know, they, he and the, the, the his vice president, I believe, uh, of Pac-12, I can't remember his name, uh, Jamie, um, but they they were talking about how the goal is to win 75% of your non-conference games, and you and USC and the rest of the Pac-12 as a whole fell below that, even though USC went undefeated in their non-conference. You know, Oregon State was abysmal this year. Washington really struggled in non-conference, and then so when you get into conference play, those teams' RPIs, those teams' net rankings are bringing down the rest of the conference along the way. Whereas if you win seventy-five percent, you're going to get a, bet, a better boost as the as the conference season goes along. So all those things kind of stacked up and led to you know USC being a seven seed when Jerry Palm had them as high as a five. You know UCLA being a four seed. Seems okay, you know, if they beat Arizona in that final game. Some people were talking about maybe they could move up to a two seed, but you know, they they played a really good game in that championship game and fell to just a superior team, but they were end up a four-seed. So you feel like those two teams, USC and UCLA, could maybe be a seed higher. And if UCLA is a three, and if USC is a six, well, now you're avoiding some of those bigger seeds, you know, one more game. You know, now UCLA has a three-seed they face the two instead of the one to to get to to the the quarter or the the quarterfinals, I believe it is. So USC, they now have a number two seed potentially to advance to the Sweet 16. You know, if they win that first game against Miami, they're gonna probably play Auburn, the number two seed. So I, I think there's a big difference between being a six and a seven because I think the top two seeds Uh, In each bracket are always really, really good. And then there's usually a a pretty good gap between the second and third seed. So, you know, for them not to be able to get to the sixth, I think it's disappointing for them. But, you know, it's all about matchups. And, you know, I think USC matches up pretty interestingly with with Miami. It's going to be strength on strength and weakness on weakness a little bit. Uh, and, And so that should be an intriguing matchup. If they do advance to play Auburn, I don't think USC necessarily matches up really well with them. Uh, so, you know, but it's all about getting hot at the right time. And, you know, it feels like USC is going into the tournament where UCLA was last year, going in and kind of just not on a, you know, playing at their best, you know, showing signs of what they're capable of, but then finding ways to to not win games late. And, you know, UCLA obviously turned it around last year, starting with their first, first four game and go on a run to the Final Four. So can USC now turn things around? Can they take a take a page out of the Mick Cronin book and, and find a way to reestablish their defense and be able to play well enough defensively to, to carry them through some of those you know sluggish offensive stretches that they go through.
1: So looking at the uh, bracket, uh, uh, Greenville, South Carolina is where USC ends up, which of course that's the Midwest regional. Cause that makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> the uh, in that group, uh, the seven seat is USC. Um, 26 and seven, I believe. Right. Uh, yep. Miami, uh, is the 10 seed that's USC plays in the first round. We'll talk about that. Uh, 23 and 10. Uh, also the number two seed is Auburn 27 and five. They did not win the sec, even though they were highly ranked all season. And then Jacksonville state is the 15 seed. So I don't think USc's probably have to worry about Jacksonville state, but that's the group that you're going to see, um, for the first two rounds in, uh, in Greenville. Um, I don't know if we want to talk about that grouping and then maybe uh, the matchup with Miami, why you think there's some strengths and weaknesses going on there.
0: Yeah, I mean, first off, let's talk about Jacksonville State. They get in as the tournament automatic bid, even though they didn't win the conference tournament because Bellarmine is, is making the transition from D2 to D1, and the NCAA has this dumb period where you can't go to the postseason when you go up a division. So you have to wait, I think it's four years, uh, and you're not eligible for the postseason, which is really dumb in my opinion. But because of that, Bellarmine wins, and then the automatic C went back to, or the automatic bid went back to Jacksonville State. So you're not even getting a team that's necessarily red hot coming in yeah. to play this Auburn team. Now Auburn's not hot, red hot either. That, that's what's interesting about this bottom four bracket. No one's red hot coming into this. USC lost three of their last four. I think Miami, um, you know, they beat Duke at, at, in. You know, a couple games back, but they they lost to Virginia Tech in the, the ACC. They I think they had lost three of the last five uh, you know, coming into the ACC tournament. So uh, something like that. They necessarily weren't playing their best basketball. I think Auburn was three and three down the stretch. So no one in this grouping is red hot right now. So it's going to be who can reset, who can you know get back on track. And I think the interesting thing is USC has that experience of this four pairing. USC has the experience from that Elite Eight run last year to potentially turn things on. They know what has to be done. It's going to be a little bit different. Obviously, we're no longer in the Indianapolis bubble. You know, you no longer staying in the same hotel. USC won't be in a hotel for 21 days straight like they were uh, last year when they, from going from Vegas straight to Indianapolis. You know, it's going to be a little bit different there. But you know, can they turn things on? They have experienced players, but Miami also has some experienced players. Even six-year senior Charlie Moore who USC fans might remember the name because he started his career at Cal. Then he went to Kansas. Then he went to DePaul. Now he's at Miami. He's been to four different schools, uh, but he's a six-year senior point guard. He knows how to lead, lead the lead the offense really well for Miami, takes care of the ball really well. And that's one of the strengths that uh, Miami has is they take care of the ball really well, whereas USC, obviously, they had the turnover issues late in the season. They did correct that a little bit against UCLA, You know, they they snapped their streak. They had had nine consecutive games with at least double-digit turnovers, and then against UCLA, they finally snapped that. If they could take care of the ball, it's going to be really important because Miami wants to turn you over. They're very similar to to Washington – they're going to trap. They're going to really push the push the uh, uh, tempo of the game, try to really force you to speed up. And USC is going to have to be settled, be calm, and take care of the basketball. You know, Miami's top 100 in the nation in turnovers force. They're top 100 in steals per game. They're, they're, they average almost nine steals per game. And that leads to some transition baskets and they take care of the ball really well. They led the SC I mean the ACC in turnovers per game. They only had uh, they were sixth in the nation. They they averaged less than 10 per game. So, you know, that's going to be a really big battle in this game. Now, how does USC counter that? What what's the what's the strength for USC? Well, they're one of the tallest teams in the nation. Miami's one of the shortest teams in the nation. So, it's going to be on USC's guards to take care of the ball, but then if they can get the ball down low, they should be able to dominate in the paint. Uh, and I think that's going to be interesting because, you know, obviously USC has those big guards, 6'9", Max Polo, 6'9", Drew Peterson. I think that, that they're going to be able to give Miami's guards. Miami is a really guard-driven offense. And, you know, if USC can stay in front of them and force them to shoot contested shots, then I think that it's going to give them a, a really tough time trying to make some shots. So I think USC's linked on the defensive end. You know, Maybe something that will be hard for Miami to contend with in this game, similar to last year in the NCAA tournament where USC's defense really was able to give teams trouble because you just don't see the link that, that a team has with multiple 6'9 wings like USC can present. So I think that's where USC has an advantage and a strength, but can they take care of the basketball? That'll be the most important thing in this game against Miami. If they can do that. If they can pass out of the double teams, if they don't turn the ball over, then they should be able to get the ball down low and take care of the take advantage of their height, uh, the the height that they have down low. And Chavez, good one. I hope he really feasts in this game. He's going back to South Carolina. Uh, I think it's a great story. I'm hoping to have a story on him later this week. Uh, but him going back to South Carolina and you know Wofford, where he transferred to USC from, is about 35 minutes away. So we'll see if there's a number of uh, of fans that come out that have some Wofford gear on as, wear, as well as wearing some Cardinal and gold to, to root on Chavez. Uh, he's from South Carolina. So, you know, the the hometown boy is returning to play in front of hopefully a big crowd of Chavez Goodwin fans because that should be about the only fans USC has in the building. You know, there's a small allotment of tickets that USC is going to have, but there's not going to be a ton of USC fans because a lot of fans are going to be coming out to see Auburn, not too far away there but also coming out to see the other games that are being played in Greenville, which are not in the same bracket here, but Duke and Mike and coach Mike Krzyzewski will be playing the game after USC. There is a break in between the two sessions, but Duke will be playing afterwards. So you can can bet that Greenville, there will be plenty uh, of Blue Devil fans that are going around. So I don't expect to see a ton of Cardinal and gold out there.
1: Yeah. And they, uh, With Cal State Fullerton's in, in Greenville too, right? They're, yep. They're they're on the other side though, so they or they're like yeah, they're in the uh, West Regional, so they're not which again, very weird. Um but the, we already mentioned the four teams that USC could potentially see. You talk about the matchup there. Um last year USC went to the Elite 8, so you would obviously have to get through these first two rounds, most likely facing an Auburn team and like you said wasn't uh you know wasn't a squad that was like finishing the season on fire, Bruce Pearl, the former Tennessee coach um weird tennessee ends up winning the sec this year but uh any kind of thoughts on you know potentially playing auburn if they're able to get through miami
0: yeah if usc plays auburn i don't think it's a great matchup for them because usc has struggled against teams with good height down low and that's something that auburn definitely possesses walker kessler is one of the best shot blockers in the nation and then you got jabari smith who is a you know a top three nba draft pick uh, you know, it's very similar to what USC had last year with the, a ton of height down low, you know, to be able to get the ball on the post and be able to dominate down low and then having you know, a guy that can space out on the wing if he wants to, but also play you down low. And, uh, you know, it's, I think Jabari Smith is list, listed at 6'11". So, you, you know, Auburn, I don't think is a great matchup for USC, but you never know what happens in a tournament, you know, if a team catches fire. But just looking at the teams that USC has struggled with this year, you know two losses to Stanford, two losses to Arizona. both those teams are in the top five uh, nationally in height. and then you know two losses to UCLA in the rivalry matchup. So, you know, when USC has struggled, it has been against teams that have some good height down low. USC struggled a lot with UCLA when Miles Johnson was in the game. So that true rim protector, that was kind of a big difference for USC in in their uh, semifinal loss to UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament is not being able to score around the basket because Miles Johnson was affecting a lot of shots. So they go up against Auburn. Kessler, Jabari Smith, both those guys, I think, create a big issue for USC and them trying to to get the ball down low. So then it comes down to, can you make shots on the outside? And USC has been very inconsistent at that. That was the case, again, in both the Arizona games is that USC, you know, scored some down low, but they couldn't make enough shots outside because Arizona really compacted their defense and forced USC to shoot a lot of threes. So I don't think it's a great matchup there, but... They've got to get to that game first. So does Auburn. And you never know what happens in March. You know, matchups dictate a lot of it. But, you know, the the right, the one team getting hot on any given night can change the, change the entire forecast of, of a, a tournament bracket.
1: For sure. And if, if USC does make a run, like we saw last year, uh, you know, starting off with an ACC opponent, likely playing an SEC opponent the next round. Uh, the following round, I mean, could be a Big Ten opponent in Wisconsin, uh, potentially a, a, another SEC team in LSU or even a, an Iowa State at uh, a Big 12 program. Able to get through that, likely facing Kansas in the Elite Eight. So, you know, one of the all time story programs. Sometimes you see, you know, some of the, oh, you get a Loyola Chicago or, uh, you know, even like a Colorado State or something. Now, this is, if USC goes on a run, it's going to be against all Power Five
0: programs. Well, you may think that, but you never know what can happen. I mean, Iowa State is a team that is capable of catching fire. They were, you know, the first half of the season, they are really good. And they're one of the best turnaround stories in the the nation. I mean, they had single-digit wins last year. So, you know, that's a team that, hey, they catch fire. Now, you don't expect Colgate or Jacksonville State to catch fire and, you know, beat a Wisconsin and LSU. But LSU is reeling right now. You know, they just fired their head coach, you know, just the other day. So how are they going? Going to react? Does that does that unite them? And they, you know, then they go on a run. You know, those are the type of things you never know in an NCAA tournament. And you know, USC last year they could have played Iowa, and that wouldn't have been a great matchup for them. But Oregon beats them, and Oregon was a great matchup for USC. So you, know, it, it, you never know how a tournament's going to play out. You, you can look at it and say if it goes chalk, then yeah, it's going to be a really tough uh, road for USC to make it back to an elite eight, but. When do things go chalk and, you know, how many brackets are actually going to do that? The main thing for USC is you got to win that first game before you can get anywhere else down the bracket. And I think Miami's going to be a tough challenge. And then trying to find a way to get to beat Auburn. You know, again, I think when USC gets in the situation when their defense is playing right and, you know, th- it's difficult to prepare for them because of how long they are. I think that's why you saw there's a big difference between non-conference and conference because conference programs have seen, you know, Drew Peterson, they've seen Max Agpapolo for two years, you know, they've seen these guys for a couple of years and can prepare for them a little bit better, how long they are, how much they can get in passing lanes, do things like that. Whereas, you know, if you're Kansas last year, you have a day to prepare for USC, and you think, yeah, we got them, it looks fine on tape, and then you get in the game and go, Wow, this team's super long. I believe it was the Drake coach said it basically felt like that USC was, you know, when they got in their zone, which is something we haven't seen a ton of this year, maybe that's something they break out. But the Drake coach said when when USC got in their zone, it basically felt like their finger they were fingertip to sideline to, to sideline side with their fingertips because of how long they were on the wings there. So uh, I don't know if that's something USC maybe is trying to save and try to use a little bit differently there, but we'll see how they try to attack this, you know, if they can play defense to the level they're capable of they can beat anybody in this bracket they're they're fully capable of it but the problem is, is they haven't played great defense recently and that's one of the, the bigger issues to me than even the offensive struggles is that you know you gave up you know nearly 50% shooting yeah in multiple games down the stretch. And that was the big difference. If you hold teams to 40%, you're going to be in every single game. And that was what USC was doing so effectively in the first half of the season. And then after that COVID pause, it just hasn't quite been the same. There's been stretches where we've seen it really good, but you know, they haven't been able to to knock teams out be, with that. And when they do play really good defense, you see the Washington game. That's what won them that game. They turned the ball over 23 times, couldn't do anything offensively at the end of the game, but Washington shoots three of 20 in the, in the, to end the game. So when you shoot, you know, less than it was at 15% to end a game, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to, to rally back on a team and USC is able to hold on in that game. So if they play defense, I think that's the biggest key for them in in any of these games. Um, and then on the offensive side, can you get Drew Peterson and Isaiah Mobley going at the same time? That's been the, the thing that's, that's, Kind of disappointing and frustrating, I'm sure, for the coaching staff is you see, you know, they have four guys that have been able to go off at different times pretty consistently, but you can't, they haven't been able to get two or three of those guys going consistently uh, recently. Uh, so if you can get Isaiah Mobley, get him to score 15 and grab 10 rebounds, and if Drew Peterson knocks down some shots, I think those two guys are, are the, you know, the keys for the USC offense because they can get their own shot, their mismatches. They can create off the dribble or they can back down uh, against opponents and shoot over uh, the smaller defenders. So, you know, I I think it'll be interesting to see if those two guys respond. They both have a ton of tournament experience from last year and if they can get refreshed because it's felt a little bit the last week and a half or so that they've been a little bit worn down by by the Pac-12 play. And, you know, the number of games they played, the number of minutes they played late in the season. One
1: last thing before I let you go. uh, Andy Enfield got to talk a little bit about the, the seating. After Selection Sunday, any thoughts from what uh, Enfield had to say?
0: And he pretty much gave the same uh, response that you would expect from him. You know, he said, there's nothing we can do about the seeding. He didn't say it was negative or positive. Um, He he just basically said that, hey, we got some experience. Now we got to use that experience and go. You know, USC has won 13 games this season on the road, uh, whether it be nine on the road, four neutral, but 13 games. So half their wins have come away from home. Now they're going to go away from home to Greenville, try to get two wins and then they'd be in Chicago if that was the, if that if they were to advance to the Sweet 16. So they're used to being road dogs. You know, they've gone to they went to Temple early in the season. They went to Florida Gulf Coast early in the season. These East Coast trips, which I think were good experience for them. So it's going to be a little bit different than the bubble last year, but they're used to going on the road. The interesting thing though, they play Miami. Miami also has 13 wins away from home this season. So, you know, two teams that are good at going on the road. And I, I think it's going to be a, an intriguing matchup. But it'll come down to you know the the things we talked about USC's defense and taking care of the basketball. If they if they play defense, take care of the basketball, they should have a chance against anybody in this bracket at least to make it to the second weekend. Um, and hey, those are going to be tough teams to beat, but USC is fully capable of it. USC is a very good team as well, and you know it shouldn't be slept on. Uh, even though some people some people have seen I know I know we had them on twenty four seven as a team that could make a run in the tournament. I've seen other people saying they're definitely going to be out in the first round. So that's what that's a classic uh, USC team for you is that you don't know exactly what you're going to get. But if you get the the best uh, version of it, it could be really, really good and do some special things. But when will that special special version, that best version, will that show up in Greenville? That's the big question.
1: All right. on Spratling. Great stuff. You're going to be down there in Greenville. Oh.
0: I will. I'm making the trip down here on Friday. We'll be there for the weekend. If USC doesn't advance, I'll go cover some baseball or something. Who knows? Nice.
1: You know, I'll do that. Um, All right. Well, it's great seeing you in uh, L.A. and Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, glad you're back or you're back back home and looking forward to your coverage uh, as the Trojans try to get through uh, that first couple of rounds, like they did last year, and make another run and uh, get some get some excitement going around the program, help the recruiting, help Andy Enfield who just got an extension, all that stuff, and you know get the fans excited. I know there's a lot of fans that don't necessarily want to hear about Georgian basketball, uh, but you know we're here the team's doing well. We're gonna keep covering them until uh, they they bow out of the tournament. But uh, thanks again, uh, Shotgun, for coming on.
0: One thing, Ryan, it'll be really interesting if they do make the Sweet 16. We said there won't be a ton of USC fans in Greenville. I don't think. But if they do make it to the Sweet 16, that'll be in Chicago. You know, there are a ton of USC fans in that area. Uh, as As we know, every time we go to Notre Dame, a ton of USC fans are there. And USC fans love to travel to Chicago. So it would be really fun to see how the USC fans then travel for that Sweet 16 if they were able to make it that far. But a lot of work to do before they get there.
1: Yep, 100%. All right, well, that is Shotgun Spratling. And that is our show for today. Hope you guys enjoyed to talk a little football and basketball, and we will talk to you next time.
0: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting.